Hey, Toby. Hey, Darian. You want to do a pod? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, I've got tons of free time. So today is a, a, a special, what would you call it, like a like a half pod? I wouldn't even say it's a half pod since we tend to go on long. This might yeah. be this might be a, t- a 20%er. That's a pseudo a pseudopod. What I want to do, you know, the, the last pod we just did, we got some really interesting feedback uh partially from each other in that um <laughs> I, I felt feedback. like listening to that pod there were a couple things that I felt like we could um kind of really maybe revisit just a little bit. Not not because I think anything was wrong necessarily, just because I feel like, ah, I wish I had said that, or I wish I had said that. Wait, you, um, you don't think we solved it entirely? <laughs> That's why. <fine. laughs> exactly. With eight more minutes, I think we can really solve this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we were so close to getting this locked down. Yeah. Um, just a micro, a micro in the middle of the week pod might just, might just tip the scales is what we're thinking. Yeah, I think that'll do it. I think... You're like paternalistic language. We came so close, but I think we could probably nail it if we did another eight minutes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So no, all all kidding aside, though, I did. You know, we were um, getting the pod ready to go up, and I was I was listening to it, working on some of the editing, and realized, gosh, there were a couple things that I felt like I wanted to say, and also a couple things that I felt like maybe could have been um, uh, could have better supported some of the points. And uh, because I think Hal and Liz brought so many wonderful things to the, the pod. And I, I yeah, I think it, it warranted maybe just a little revisitation. So um, and I think and my understanding was that you did, too. Yeah. And in fact, I, maybe I'll read you this poem because um, <laughs> because that's my thing. Um, right. Right. <laughs> it's like, this is this is how we start every phone conversation. Yeah. Darian, you want to hear a poem? <laughs> Oh man, yeah. In case in case you ever wanted to know what a, what our relationship really looked like, um, exactly. This is a this is a reenactment of every day for us. So this is a fascinating thing. It's a poem that the name of the poem actually lived on in some ways long after the poem itself, as a sort mm-hmm. of epigrammatic way of thinking about imperialism. And so the poem is called "The White Man's Burden," which <laughs> oh god, don't I know it. <laughs> <laughs> like, is, this, is, this, is that a bad way to start <laughs> that yep yep that's as bad as it gets um there we go it, you know it's it, it's it's super cringeworthy and um in the way of like uh, kind of apologists for imperialism and like men's rights activists and this kind of stuff but it, it's really interesting when you kind of get below the hood on the poem a little bit because Okay. It's written by this guy, Rudyard Kipling, uh, famous for also writing The Jungle Books, uh, which people may have seen uh, or read. I mean, he, he didn't write the movie. He also wrote. has no racial issues, I think. <laughs> Massive. Especially, especially the, uh, the, the, the Disney film, I'm pretty sure, is without uh, reproach. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a, whole, other, that's a whole other thing. Um, but Kipling himself is actually a really interesting guy. He's born in India... And he grows up in India, spends a lot of his life outside of England, despite being English. Um, and he sort of fetishizes English imperialism in certain ways. Mm. Um, he, he sees it as like a, a, a way to sort of, uh, the, of England caring for the world. He sees it as the best possible impulse that like the imperial powers have towards the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he tries to put it into, into this poem, um, and so I'll read it. Uh, feel free, listeners, to cringe as, as hard as you can cringe. 
Um, exactly. And the reason I'm doing like watching Triumph of the Wills. Yeah, it's it's a bit like <laughs> Wait, I don't know what that. that. What's don't bring up Nazis wills? on a podcast. Oh yes, no. Oh, is that the um? What's it's her the name? Lenny Riefenstahl film. Riefenstahl. Yeah, it is a bit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in, in, in that you there's these things that we think of as bad because we've seen them play out fully. Mm-hmm. Like we, we saw the sort of extreme environmental and cultural damage that came out of imperialism. I mean, ho- holy hell. I mean, if you ever want just a nightmare um, inducing read, look at the, um, I believe it's in the Congo. There was a trade in hands at one point, like really just... Oh. Uh, that was kind of brought into place by the king of Belgium, if I'm getting that right. Really nightmarish stuff. Um, so w- imperialism, yeah, wrought the, the greatest nightmares in human history in all likelihood. Um, and so I'm not saying it's great, <laughs> but it it did have this really compelling, we are helping sort of underlying uh, ideology to it that mm-hmm. that speaks mm-hmm. to there was a moment in our last podcast where we talked about imperialism and oh what's the harm if they think they're doing this for the good um well he, this is the source code of that the white man's board ah, burden by nice, rudyard kipling nice way to tech that up yeah yeah um that's why it's that's why everyone should be a little bit troubled when a slogan like don't be evil uh underlies mm. one of the richest companies mm-hmm. in the world because you're like wait wait a second like we really you really have to like pump the brakes on that kind of thing because imperialists right. would would have loved that slogan, <laughs> like right, yeah, right. you know, don't be evil, you know, that's we're the good guys, um, right. So here here's the poem. Uh, it's a bit tacky. It's a bit heavy handed, but that was also you know the time period and indeed now if you look at that kind of idealistic speech. So uh, take up the white man's burden. Send forth the best ye breed. Go send your sons to exile to serve your captives' need. To wait in heavy harness on fluttered folk and wild. Your new-caught sullen peoples, half devil and half child. Take up the white man's burden. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. If you remember the nice, part where nice. Hal and Liz are talking about the, the problem of, like, a, an eng- a computer scientist or engineer calling the deaf community primitive when right. developing a technology for them, this is where we're right in that spot. Calling them right, half devil right. and half child. Um, nice, nice. Take up the white man's burden in patience to abide, to veil the threat of terror. You know, right? Terror. I'm not going to stop and footnote this, but <laughs> the right. word, the word terror has a long history of of serving purposes like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and check the show of pride by open speech and simple, an hundred times made plain to seek another's profit and work another's gain. Take up the white man's burden and reap his old reward. The blame of those ye better, the hate of those ye guard. The cry of hosts ye humor, ah, slowly to the light. Why brought us ye from bondage, our loved Egyptian knight? Take up the white man's burden, have done with childish days. The lightly proffered laurel, the easy ungrudged praise, comes now to search your manhood through all the thankless years, cold-edged and dear-bought wisdom, the judgment of your peers. Um, so that's it, wow. right? Wow. Goodness. Uh, yeah. I mean, just, it's, what's amazing about it is that you realize how much, I mean, I think the, the, the concept of source code, I think, is, 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 a, is a good one there, which is how much implicitly that's still 
kind of rings true for people, but from an explicit, like kind of voiced standpoint, very few people could actually kind of say, well, that's an okay thing to say. And yet you, you kind of get like, actually, no, that's, you're right. That, that actually is kind of the way we approach a lot of um, problems to this day. It's really useful to kind of see that voice quite so explicitly. Yeah. And I mean, like, uh, this, this is the, the underlying code of, of when someone like Elon Musk is like, stop asking me stupid questions you don't understand. <laughs> you right. know, right. that like, and it's not to say Elon Musk is necessarily an imperialist, um, although he did launch a car into space, <laughs> which, <laughs> <laughs> well, as one does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As uh, you know, that's, that's a thing to do. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the modern equivalent of trying to make it to the North Pole, which was also a big imperial enterprise. Right. Well, and I think it's worth saying, so why bring back, why bring in a new poem when we already kind of introduced Scheherazade in the last time around? And I, I think it came from a little bit of a conversation that we had actually in between last pod and this pod, which was um, a little bit of, a, a, of an issue that I have with kind of this term tech paternalism and as, um, or paternalistic language and technology, which is, um, you know, I think the term was introduced, I think as Hal said, in like 2004 as part of this article. Um, and in 2004, the concept of paternalism felt fairly synonymous with the, to- the concept of um, imperialism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we came in, when you came in with the Scheherazade um, reference, it seemed like we were talking about paternalism from kind of a male-female perspective. And imperialism, it as we as I listened to the whole episode and kind of was thinking about this, it actually feels like there is an inherently sometimes gendered quality to the way that the tech space is approached. But actually, the issue is not in, inherently a gendered issue. It's actually much more about this kind of imperialistic issue. Yeah, I mean, if we want to think about it, right, like the poem is the white man's burden and talks about manhood. So it's very masculine. But there's really like literally the poster child, like the person on the posters of imperialism was Queen Victoria, right? Like it doesn't, right. it, it's not necessarily, uh, it doesn't have to be a man. Like the ideology, right. uh, the, this idea of paternalism, like calling your, your, the people you are controlling devil children. That's, right. uh, you know, that, that, that only, that don't, that's only like kind of conveniently masculine. Um, right. Which is not exactly. to say that the tech space isn't dominated by men and right. tech universities exactly. are Which mostly populated. Which is one of the populated. reasons why it makes one of the why it makes that issue, I think, a little bit cloudy because there are gendered there are perhaps gender issues, but the issue that we're talking about here, while it might be perpetrated by a lot of male programmers, developers, technologists, etc., it actually is one more of it. It actually dovetails to me more in kind of not just the mindset and the language, but also actually in the whole commercial structure around it, the whole commercial structure of imperialism and kind of the modern commercial structure of the technology industry um, actually feels more synchronous. I don't want to get to the point of calling kind of the, the, the tech world necessarily imperialistic, but it has some of, some of the same impulses. Yeah. Um, and again, some of those impulses are really laudatory. I mean, there is something to be said about like, go out and make this world better. Um, but it's when you're thinking of the world as being, you know, half, uh, <laughs> what is it? What was it? Half, uh, half child, devil. half and half devil. Half devil right. Yep. When you're, when you're going in, when you're going in with that mindset, um, you're not entering that space with any, um, kind of a, a space of information sharing, right? You're imposing kind of your practices. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you talked about like design thinking or whatever, this, this issue of right. like, how, how exactly do you think of your consumer as someone? Right. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Exactly. And that's something I feel like I didn't touch on quite enough because really what Hal and Liz were both talking about is something that in the technological practice area, especially in the, on the business side, it's like it's been discovered. There's a version of it that's been, quote, discovered over the last five years or so, which is this concept of design thinking. Um, and it's, and it's a, an attempt to kind of put kind of the traditional user testing into a different stage of the process. Mm-hmm. To say, well, what what if we asked people what they wanted before we started developing <laughs> and then along the way kept involving the people that we're developing this for in this process? Um, and, you know, I, I, have a, I had a good friend go to a whole conference on design thinking and they came back. This is only three or four years ago, and they came back with like this, like, like head exploded, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, you mean they did it differently? They do it differently than that? Um, but in some ways, even design thinking, which while the practice itself is moving conceptually in the direction that Hal and Liz are talking about, what it's not doing is actually going beyond, I think, what I would call a very tactical level um, of application. So you're applying design thinking to how do we make this particular app function now that we've come up with the idea that we're going to do this app, right? Mm -hmm. We've, we've raised the money. We've, we've shown the source code that, that makes everybody say, wow, that I can see what you're going to do there. The POC is kind of already in development and you're like, all right, you know what? We're going to go about this a more modern way and we're going to use design thinking. But it's like, you're already past the point of, like everyone's already committed to the the even the existence of this project and the and the the way of solving this thing and then now you're just talking about well where do you put buttons and what is the experience that is the easiest kind of what is the user experience or the user interface that is the easiest and i'm really interested in what Hal and Liz talked about about whether how do you move that whole conceptual thinking even earlier even before you get into the even kind of concepting the idea of what you're going to do how do you fold the idea of identifying a problem first and then start working on the solution into an arena when the thing that you get paid for is having unique version on the solution right so getting to the solution is really important and getting to the solution as fast as possible is really important and having the unique way of solving that is the place where you're going to raise money and where you're going to get all the all the resources um, I think it's not uncommon. To, I, I don't know that it's going to be possible to just say, hey, this is not a, there's a better way of going about doing this until you start showing maybe even at the VC level, at the funding level to say, if somebody hasn't identified the problem in a really clear, illustrated way that makes you think that there is a genuine problem here that is actually needs to be solved, but even then, it still gets down to what is the thing that is most, quote, scalable. So I, I, I don't know. I just think I, I don't have an answer. I mean, all the joking aside, when we enter this conversation saying we're going to resolve it in eight to ten minutes, <laughs> I don't have an answer so much as I wanted to kind of provide that context and where that kind of thinking is going. And both that it's, it's important to recognize that it is being adopted in some ways, that empathy and connection and research and design think is all part of this design thinking process. 
and yet it still doesn't move it prior to this point of inception such that um, it changes the economics of the the whole industry. And I and I'm not sure that it can in quite in sort of easy terms um, or in simple ways. But that's that I thought was something I just kind of wanted to interject a little bit and and really welcome thinkers like Hal and Liz into the how do you enter into the financing discourse, right? To really, mm -hmm. to really kind of start shaping the whole nature of the industry and how it talks and thinks and funds and does all that. Um, and really encourage that to that kind of discourse to be pushed up into those places of kind of real economy um, and real, um, real kind of industry mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, That's my, awesome. yeah, I, 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 Black Panther. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, exactly. Fundamentally, that's, that's, that's exactly the point, right? I mean, the kind of that whole conversation we had around Black Panther and the question of kind of where does the, uh, where does the power kind of come from and how do you, how do you share it? And how do you, know, all that, I think it's, I won't go back over our Black Panther episode. Watch it. It's from a few weeks ago. Episode uh, 13, maybe? I don't yeah, know. or even listen to it. You know, yeah, however you, yeah, exactly. however you we're, take in your we podcast. Are not, we're not vlogging yet. <laughs> um, anyway, so anyway, just wanted to and wanted to say one more time, um, what a what a pleasure it was to kind of listen to uh, Hal and Liz um, and really kind of go through those ideas. And I look forward to hopefully maybe even having them back on the podcast uh, at yeah, some point. That'd be great. Um, as we as we you know pull apart that idea, I'm not entirely sure that it's. Um, something that can change, but it's something that I think is an interesting conversation to have with people um, over time as things start shaping. Yeah. Or, or just each other, whichever, whichever, yeah, whichever we'll works out. Each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next week we have an exciting one coming up. We have an exciting one on industrial IOT or yeah. I IOT or EOT. I don't know. Um, industrial IOT, industrial internet of things. Yeah, um, which is all about the connected factory. Mind blown. Yeah, yeah, we'll be and we'll be joined by a uh, a uh, someone very close to us, a, our, our our wonderful cousin uh, Jefferson Bates, um, who works in industrial IoT and is going to kind of take us through uh, what is and isn't yet happening in that space. All, all right. right, I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> see you then. All right, bye. Bye.